Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. I don't know how long ago it was. But there was a lot of silence with respect to what Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, some of these governors were doing to our jobs, to our businesses, and to our economy. And so I decided to take it on. And that is five, six weeks ago, seven, eight weeks ago. And now we have 26 million people in the last four weeks who have filed for unemployment compensation. 26 million people. Just think about that. And their families. And how that resonates throughout the economy. We don't get numbers every week, and we didn't get one today, on how many businesses have closed. How many businesses have closed? And I think we must conclude as a nation that this idea of shutting down the country and shutting down the economy was incorrect. And you know what's amazing? The Democrats and the media don't think we went far enough insist on continuing this. And I try and rack my my, my brain over this, and there's some obvious reasons for this. Number one, they truly do wish to destroy our capitalist system and our constitutional system and concentrate power in Washington. That's number one. Number two, I've also concluded that they think so many of the people who are losing their jobs and businesses are Trump supporters. Blue-collar, white-collar, union, non-union, Trump supporters. That's what I think many of them think. And so they show no compassion at all, and they're probably laughing behind our backs. Number three. These people really believe in government over the individual, government over the private economy. And I'm going to prove that to you in a few minutes when Mr. Producer downloads a few audio that I sent him. And that is, when we have a government shutdown, even though virtually all the federal employees are going to get their jobs back, even though virtually all the federal employees, even those who are furloughed, are going to get their money back, they'll still have their pensions, they'll still have their health care, regardless of how long the shutdown is, We get these sob stories from the media about parks that you can't go to anymore. 
Or what will a federal employee do two weeks, three weeks in without a paycheck? We're talking about here millions and millions and millions of people losing their jobs. Losing their pensions if they have pensions. Now this is incredible. The media, as I said to you the other day, and as I've written in Unfreedom of the Press, are located, physically located for the most part, in the Washington, D.C. area and the New York City area. So when New York City got slammed with this virus, as far as those reporters and networks and the rest were concerned, their entire perspective is New York City. And I say this as somebody who loves New York City, the people in New York, who gave me my start in this business. That has nothing to do with my point. There's no perspective from the Midwest, from the Pacific Northwest, from the South, from the Southeast. The entire perspective is the Eastern Seaboard and not the entire Eastern Seaboard, just the relatively small geographic area of the Eastern Seaboard. And this is with every topic. And the newsrooms don't shuffle out the political reporters and shuffle in the health care and medical expert reporters if they have any. No, no, it's the same political reporters that covered Russia and covered up the Obama administration's involvement in trying to take out the president and so forth who are covering this. The same bias, the same animus, and the same lack of knowledge. Worse. This is why early on, we've been the point of the spear to get this economy open. This is why early on, I question, I have never worked so hard in my life, and I don't want any pat on the back or anything like that, in terms of really doing my research, morning, noon, and night. Ask my wife. I don't get any sleep. I am digging. I'm worried about my country. I have a microphone, and I want to come to you. Not just with platitudes and opinions and woe is me. I want you to get information. And so we found Dr. Katz, and so we found Dr. Ionides, and so we found other scholars and experts in epidemiology, virologists. And we looked at the big picture. What about all the other human beings in this country with all kinds of comorbidities, all kinds of illnesses and diseases who are not going to get attention? What about all the other hospitals and all the other doctors and nurses and and technicians and so forth. What's going to happen to our healthcare system? We were the first to raise all this. And what about all the people who aren't going to be able to see their doctors? They call it elective surgery. Well, elective surgery, if you don't get it, can kill you. And so we looked at that. And I zoned in on the death rates that we were being given because they seemed so utterly preposterous to me. And it turns out they're utterly preposterous. And we have these propaganda platforms, whether it's Mediaite, whether it's MSNBC or CNN, so-called newsrooms all over this country are propagandists filled with demagogues. And so NPR won't correct what they wrote some time ago about me. ProPublica won't do that. 
Why? Because they're backed by leftists and they're, they're populated by leftists. None of them will. And I got behind this microphone and I encouraged you to protest when I saw what was happening to civil liberties. I can understand basic mitigation. I really can. But that's not what we're talking about here. And I said over and over again, as I always do, civil, nonviolent protests. That's our history. And so many of you have. Trying to defend your private property, the Constitution, and your jobs and your businesses. In some cases, against tyrannical blue state governors. Now, the media in this country, as you well know, is very destructive to our liberty and very destructive to our constitutional institutions. When their government shutdowns, you would think the whole world's coming to an end. There are 2 million civilian federal employees, 26 million people, the overwhelming majority of whom are in the private sector, have been laid off in the last 30 days. 26 million. And they, and these businesses that have shut down, and we don't even know how many, they don't get the attention, not even one-tenth of one percent of the attention that people do when there's a government shutdown, which is always temporary, and people are made whole for the most part. You have no statistics today from Fauci, from Burks, from the Surgeon General, from the FDA, the, this ABC, XYZ. You have no statistics today on how many people over the last two months have died from heart disease, heart attacks, strokes, diabetes, cancer, and other morbidities as a result of their inability to see doctors or get into hospitals or they just can't afford it because of all the economic turmoil. You don't get any of those statistics. So, apparently those people don't exist. Apparently their lives don't matter as much. We're hollowing out our healthcare system. As I speak to you, by the thousands, healthcare professionals are being laid off all across this country. All across this country. Then we see the government spending. This is not stimulus spending, ladies and gentlemen. Look at this. 26 million people have filed for unemployment in the last 30 days. What is this money going to? It's relief. And in many cases, relief for big corporations... Relief for preferred special interests. Even though the intent is to get it to people and get it to small business, obviously a lot of it's not getting there. And it's an opportunity for the federal government, the Democrats, and the bureaucracy to grow and become more powerful. To change our voting system. To change our capitalist system. These are dangerous evil, conniving people on the left in the media that run the Democrat Party and so forth and so on. They show no compassion, none, for any of you. Well, they claim to care about all of you. Now, when we come back, 
We'll take a very little listen, just a few clips. As I dug them out. Of what it's like when there's a government shutdown. Here we have a countrywide shutdown. But God forbid if the government shuts down for a week or two weeks or 15 days. God forbid. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. All right, we just pulled a few. When there's a government shutdown, we get a relentless assault by the media on what happens to the people who work for government and the horrific consequences for the American people. So keep in mind, 26 million people have applied for unemployment insurance, 26 million in the last 30 days. We have no idea how many tens of thousands of small businesses have gone under or just closed even temporarily. No idea. We have no idea of the other health consequences. We don't have a full count on all the hospital beds we've lost or hospitals that have closed and the people who have lost their jobs in the medical profession. We have no idea. We're not being told any of that from Dr. Fauci or Dr. Burks or anybody else. But here's a report, January 1, 2019, a little over a year ago, when the government shut down USA Today. Well, let's actually, let me reverse course. Let's do the MRC montage of the media, how concerned they were about a government shutdown. Cut 14, go. We've been asking you to send us your thoughts on the government shutdown using hashtag Dear Congress at Twitter, and we have gotten some great responses. Let's read just a couple now. Twyla writes, Dear Congress, thanks for the shutdown and lack of pay. We, the public, your bosses, will return the favor at the polls. Rebecca Schiller writes, Dear Congress, I took a vow to serve the public, and I'm sitting at home without a job today. Who are you getting paid? To serve. We really started something with that Dear Congress hashtag yesterday. Yeah, it was something else. Yeah. yeah, we're really excited by it, too. We're glad that you found us as a home to just sound off. And here's a little sampling of what you had to say. Dear Congress, it's obvious you no longer care about the welfare of those that you represent. On Instagram, the hashtag Dear Congress spawned memes with messages from movie characters, like Morpheus from The Matrix. There's even a scolding from George Washington. Eddie G says, your actions make children fighting over crayons look like a debate of scholars. A telling message on voting. Dear Congress, if you ever wonder why young people don't vote, this is why. Mm-hmm. It's just a touch of how the media react when the government shuts down. 
And in the end, very few people actually lose their jobs, certainly compared to what's going on right now. This was USA Today, January 1, 2019, a little over a year ago. You would have thought the world was coming to an end. And they show, what, any compassion at all to what's going on to the American people? No, 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 you protesters out there, something must be wrong with you. Yeah, something, we know it's inconvenient to quote the great Dr. Fauci. 26 million people seeking unemployment. And by the way, the unemployment number is bigger than that. That's 26 million people seeking unemployment. Cut 17, go. The nation's biggest employer with more than 2 million workers. So even a partial shutdown, like the one that began at the end of 2018, directly affects hundreds of thousands of people. But what about the rest of us? Small businesses make up more than 95% of workplaces in the U.S. and about half of American jobs. Many of those operate on close margins and depend on loans from the Small Business Administration for startup or operating costs. But the shutdown closes non-emergency related parts of the SBA, and that means no loans will be processed while the office is closed. For many businesses, it's already a strain trying to survive the loss of income from government-employed clientele who might be waiting for paychecks. But the whole economy can take a hit if a shutdown is sustained. In 2013, Standard & Poor estimated the 16-day shutdown took $24 billion out of the American economy. $24 billion out of the American economy, ladies and gentlemen. $24 billion. That's like a rounding error today. Go ahead. Loans or grants administered by non-essential offices, like the Department of Education, might not go out at all. While federal student aid would still be administered, the prolonged shutdown in 2013 interrupted disbursement of other indirect Oh, grants. please, really? Is there a college or university other than Liberty University open in the country today? I don't think so. Go ahead. Such as the Foreign Language and Area Studies Scholarship, which was not retroactively repaid. Speaking of getting paid back, a new tax season begins in January, and many taxpayers will feel the impact of the 2017 tax overhaul for the first time. With the shutdown stretching into 2019, the IRS, which has already furloughed 88% of employees, worries their staff may not be sufficiently trained on the tax bill before another filing season. My God. That could mean delays on refunds, with consequences to anyone who is counting Wait a minute, refunds? We got 26 million people who applied for unemployment insurance. They ain't getting any refunds. You hear the hype, the breathlessness, it's emergency. My God, what will we do? What will we do? My God, what will we do? The government's shut down. We can't go to the parks. My God, ladies and gentlemen, how much more are we going to put up with this BS? I'll be right back. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics 
are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. When the going gets tough, a tough get, Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811. So the media in our country are attacking you. The men and women in the private sector, including men and women who earn an hourly wage. They're attacking our assembly line workers. They're attacking union members, non-union members. They're attacking you because they view you all as deplorables, all as Trump supporters. You notice people on the dole never get attacked. Have you noticed this? The vast majority of whom vote Democrat. People get food stamps. They're noble. People get welfare. They're noble. People get free this, free that, subsidies for heating. All noble, noble, noble. The people who pay the bills, deplorables. Selfish. You notice that? If the Democrat... Economic constituency groups, it's not about race and religion, economic constituency groups, we're taking the, the bulk of this hit. You wouldn't be treated the way you are. That is, they would be speaking up. Oh my God, we have to open the economy. We have to help these people. I've told you over and over again that the Federal bureaucracy is an appendage of the Democrat Party, and the Democrat Party is an appendage of the federal bureaucracy. That's why you get these hyped-up news reports if the government shut for three days. The world's coming to an end. And yet, when our economy truly is cratering as a result of decisions mostly by dark blue state governors, and I don't dismiss the virus and all the rest of it, what I reject is some of the overreaction. And the president might even disagree with me on this. And a great deal of the mishandling by these governors and their lack of serious priorities going into this pandemic. And the media lies and lies and lies and then lies again. So who do they attack? They attack me. I mean, they've accused Sean Hannity's viewers of dying at a greater percentage than, I think, Tucker Carlson's viewers. Do you believe that, Mr. Producer? They're so Mickey and Minnie Mouse, it's not even funny. Over at instapundent.com, which is a tremendous website, I encourage you to check it out. They post a link to... Somebody by the name of Razor. No idea, but I like what they post. We'll reopen the economy and let you try to earn money again when we flatten the curve. No, that's changed. When we increase testing, no, no, that's changed too. When we find a vaccine, no, that's changed. When no one is sick, no, that's changed too. No, we'll open the economy and let you earn money when the election is over and you welcome our new green socialist utopia. 
Now, you don't get emotional, passionate reporting from newsrooms tonight over what's happening to the economy. And remember what I said. Let's put the marker down. They're going to blame Trump for this economy, even though he's the first to say, let's open it. Just listen to some more coverage. CBS News, January 18, 2019. Cut 16, again, of government shutdown. Go. The shutdown that began over border security. Without a strong border, America is defenseless. Is now a petty political battle with both sides exercising rarely used powers. The back and forth deal that uh, Speaker Pelosi began really doesn't help anything at all. The president's decision to delay Speaker Pelosi's trip came just minutes before many Democrats on the delegation boarded a bus for Joint Base Andrews. The bus left the Capitol, but then turned right around. In a letter to Pelosi, the president argued, in light of 800,000 great American workers... Now, why am I playing this clip? Look how ridiculous the media are. Look how ridiculous they are. This is a big deal. Government shut. It's a big deal to Washington, D.C. It's not a big deal to the vast majority of the country, certainly not in the short and midterm. We've been through over 20 of these. Over 20 of these. And there were protests against it, and people are like, no, yeah, yeah. I understand. All the goofballs out there, well, this is different, Mark. This is a virus situation. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about here is how the press reacts to the inhumanity that's taking place right now in the economy. They attack the protesters. They attack the governors who are earnestly trying to get their economies open with care and caution, very judicious. And they celebrate and praise the Cuomos and the Pritzkers and the Newsoms and the other throwbacks. They're really out to get this guy Kemp in Georgia and DeSantis in Florida. They want to make examples of them. Go ahead. Pay. I am sure you would agree that postponing this public relations event is totally appropriate. But just last month, during the first week of the shutdown, the president used Air Force One on a quick top secret trip. All right, that's enough. There you go. That's CBS. Very serious. Very serious. Let's hear one more. ABC News, December 31, 2018. Cut 15, go. We're hearing from the White House on how the negotiations are going. The president has been firing off on Twitter saying build a wall or close the border. President Trump with his biggest threat yet in the fight for money to build a southern border wall. Tweeting this morning, we will be forced to close the southern border entirely if the obstructionist Democrats do not give us the money to finish the wall and also change the ridiculous immigration laws that our country is saddled with. That's the only way we can get the Democrats' attention. Incoming acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney says negotiations are at a standstill. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer previously offered $1.3 billion. My God, the government's shutting down. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? Our masters are fighting with each other, our masters in the bureaucracy. Two million. And by the way, 1.2 million of them pretty much are essential. Essential. 20, I, I can barely fathom this number. 26 million of our fellow Americans have sought unemployment compensation during the last 30 days. It's, it's, it's almost beyond belief. These are numbers that are unheard of. Now, what is Congress going to do about it? And what has Congress done about it? 
Congress is very, very concerned about this. So what are they doing? What does Congress do? What does Congress know how to do? Spend and borrow. What does the Fed know how to do? Print money and print it and print it and print it. So when you have fiscal policy, which spends trillions and trillions of dollars, and monetary policy, which is monetizing the debt, in other words, the, look at it this way. The Fed is sort of the, is the, the Congress is kind of the drug dealer and the Fed's kind of the drug user or vice versa. They're hooked. It's all they know how to do. Now, I had a uh, discussion with Arthur Laffer today, and, his, and he will be on the Life, Liberty, and Levin as well on Sunday, as well as uh, Chris DeMuth and others who are, I mean, uh, who is brilliant when it comes to uh, federalism. And uh, he's not worried about inflation. Remember the Laffer curve, cutting taxes? I have a great amount of respect for him, but of course he's dead wrong. Just a matter of time. So we have a piece by Martin Hutchison, who actually knows what he's talking about when it comes to inflation. It's titled, The Coronavirus Economy Will Bring Inflation. If you think too much money creation causes inflation, we will get inflation. If you think budget deficits cause inflation, we will get inflation. If you're old-fashioned enough to think that rising costs and increasing economic inefficiency cause inflation, it's even worse than that, well, we will get inflation. It really doesn't matter which economic theory you subscribe to. They all arrive at the same destination. More inflation. Inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon in the sense that it is and can be produced only by a more rapid increase in the quantity of money than in output, said Milton Freeman in 1970. We're not having output right now, ladies and gentlemen. The gross domestic product is shrinking. Well, we've had the money supply growth in the 10 years of February 2020. M2 money supply increased, just stick with me on the numbers, by 6.3% per annum. The problem is we did not get the inflation that was promised. Nominal gross domestic product grew only 4% per annum in the 10 years to the fourth quarter 2019. So the other 2.3% per annum of money supply got lost somewhere. Where is it? What happened to it? It's still out there. It's still floating around. Monetary economists wave their hands and talk about velocity. But monetary velocity is supposed to increase, that is, the use of this money is supposed to increase, not shrink, as our payment systems get more efficient. So for the 10 years before the coronavirus, Friedman's central principle, he says, didn't work. We should have had about a 4 to 5% inflation rather than 2% we actually got. But since February, it's a different story. In the six weeks to April 6th, this M2, its money supply, has increased by 7.7%, an annual compounded rate of 90.4%. 90! That reflects all the money the Fed has pumped into the system. The statistics are not wrong. But at that rate of money creation, if Freeman is right, we should get inflation close to triple digits. 18 to 24 months from now, you can't produce money at that rate without the dollar going the way of the continental, the asinine, 
the Reichsmark, or the 1946 Hungarian Penjo, exchange for the new forint at a conversion rate of 10 to the 29th to 1. Now, I don't want to get too complicated here with the gentleman who wrote this outstanding piece. But here's what he says. The the, take away the monetary and fiscal arguments, the world economy in general and the U.S. economy in particular were humming like a top as recently as February, running at full employment, producing goods and services through a globalized distribution system that had been optimized over the preceding decade of increasing prosperity. The whole economic machine was running at maximum efficiency, producing maximum output, not just in America, but throughout the world. Then it stopped. Even when factories can still operate, global supply chains were optimized on the just-in-time principle. That meant if any one supplier in the chain stopped production, the entire output had to be halted until an alternative supplier could be found. So production will not be able to restart unless all the suppliers are in place. Some key workers will be missing. Some key factories will have gone out of business. If you think of the world economy as a gigantic machine, it will no longer be operating smoothly. Horrible grinding noises will emit from its innards, and smoke will billow everywhere. Inevitably, that will cause increased costs. It has to. Then there are the costs of shortening the global supply chains, perhaps re-domesticating some production. Entirely without economic theory, simply from observing how the world economy will operate for the rest of 2020 and 2021, you can come to an inevitable conclusion. There will be inflation. How much inflation? On that question, the crystal ball is still clouded. But if you ask me for a guess, he says, I'd say low double digits in the United States by the first months of 2022. Low double digits. That starts at 10%. Could be much higher. We went through that in the mid to late 70s and early 80s. It was horrific. We had significant unemployment and a shrinking GDP for years under Carter. And then the Fed had to wring out the inflation, which was even an increased burden. So in addition to these decisions to shut down the economy, federal spending is going to prolong this problem. What you'll see at some point is an economic uplift. And then what you're going to see is inflation, significant inflation. And these radio and TV hosts, a year or two from now, I told you so, they haven't told you crap any more than they told you about the fatality rate, which was way too bloated, any more than they told you that it was time to open the economy. These Johnny-come-latelys need to get out front and help us push the society in the right direction, rather than coming in after the fact and patting themselves on the head. I will fight with every fiber I have any plan for any more massive spending. We have sent the message all over the country to Capitol Hill and the White House. You see McConnell's response. He says he's going to fight it. You heard McCarthy on here yesterday. He says he's going to fight it. We've now seen from Ted Cruz tweeting out that He's not all that encouraged by it? Good. How about a little bit louder, boys? And how about a few more of you? 
I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. You know, ladies and gentlemen, it's very interesting to me that these national media organizations, they don't have major satellite newsrooms throughout the country. Maybe they'll have a flunky here and there, but nothing significant because they're part of of the Democrat Party, massive bureaucracy, uh, a coalition in Washington, D.C., It is an iron triangle, as Ronald Reagan would say. The media, the bureaucracy, and the Democrat Party. And we'll get to more of this. Now Cuomo and the other Democrats are piling on McConnell because McConnell didn't say there'd be no money for the states. He simply said the money had to be related to coronavirus. I say there should be no money for the states. But that said, they're now going to beat the crap out of him. They're going to They're going to uh, cause uh, some of the Republicans running for office to be scared. They're going to attack the administration. And the weaker advisors of the president will want to buckle onto this. They want to be subsidized. Cuomo's the worst of the worst, ladies and gentlemen. He's the worst of the worst. And I told you, November 22, 2019 piece in the New York Post, shocking debt in New York, $6.1 billion and a $100 billion budget. And he wants you and me to pay for that. He's an ingrate, number one. Number two, the people in New York need to throw his ass out. I didn't vote for that puke. And I shouldn't have to pay for the consequences of what he did. And he wants money that has no limits on it. No strings attached. So he can pay off his debt. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker. Somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building. We've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. There's a lot of carnage out there. 
You don't hear a lot of carnage in these red states, do you, Mr. Producer? You really don't. I want to read you something. From the L.A. Slimes, Joel Rubin. I don't know if I'll have a job after this. Where are the strokes and the heart attacks? Doctors worry as patients avoid emergency rooms. And you have not heard Dr. Fauci or Dr. Burks talk about any of this. You've not heard it discussed on CNN. Those three or four of you who watch CNN, same with MSLSD. California's hospital emergency departments are strangely quiet places these days. Before the coronavirus hit, tens of thousands of people across the state sought emergency help every day. But in the weeks since the virus began its spread throughout the U.S., those numbers have plummeted by a third to a half. According to physicians overseeing emergency departments in hospitals across L.A. County and elsewhere in California. The steep decline comes amid drastic measures hospitals have put in place to prepare for what health officials fear could be a wave of patients infected by the coronavirus like the ones that have overwhelmed hospitals in New York City and elsewhere. I I might say that these hospitals have really been put to the test in New York, but they have not been overwhelmed. You want to see overwhelmed hospitals, you go to the UK, where people on gurneys in the hallways, and they don't get a, a room or an emergency room for days on end, or where ambulances keep people in the ambulance and don't bring them into the hospital because of some quota method. Now, so far, the numbers of people sickened by the virus in California have been manageable. But now doctors and health officials are increasingly worried that steps taken to keep hospitals at the ready, along with a widespread public fear the virus is rife in emergency rooms, and of course, they don't mention the governor shutting down industry, have left people who are in immediate need of life-saving help unwilling to seek treatment. Where are the strokes and the heart attacks? Where are the diabetics? Having complications, said Dr. Stock, an emergency physician at Antelope Valley Hospital. These cases didn't just vaporize with the virus. I worry people are suffering at home because they're afraid our emergency rooms are radioactive. Physicians and health officials are amending their urgent warnings about the virus, to stress that emergency departments are not overrun and can treat people safely. The full effect of what Stock dubbed Corona collateral damage syndrome, and another emergency physician called a virus of fear, has not yet been tallied as hospitals and state agencies begin to gather comprehensive figures. Does Cuomo have the numbers? Well, he keeps his foot on the throat of his economy and demands that people from all over the country subsidize his boneheaded budget decisions over the years? I think you're going to have a lot of pissed off Americans. If this Congress starts subsidizing states, I'm telling you that right now. But from interviews with more than a dozen physicians working in rural and urban hospitals around the state of California, a portrait emerges of how emergency care in California has been upended by the virus. Has been upended by the virus. It's been upended by the decisions made relative to the virus. They worry people are dying at home from conditions that could have been treated. And others who survive will suffer from serious chronic conditions resulting from their failure to seek help. Now, what you're going to have is exactly what they're saying. Plus now, 
a more significant shortage of medical professionals and hospital facilities. Before the coronavirus made inroads at the state emergency department at Hogue Hospital in Orange County, I'm all familiar with that, typically treated about 90 stroke victims every month, said Dr. David Brown, a neurologist who directs the hospital stroke program. Since state and county officials issued orders last month largely instructing residents to remain at home, the number of stroke cases coming to the hospital has dropped by half. Overall, the number of patients coming to Hogue's emergency department has fallen by half as well, hospital figures show. Similarly, in Inglewood, which used to have about 180 stroke patients in its emergency department each month, seen those cases fall by 50%, the hospital's emergency department director said. And at the Ronald Reagan UCLA Medical Center, stroke cases also have dropped by half, while people being treated for heart attacks are down by 30%, said Dr. Greg Hendy, chair of the emergency department. Stroke patients at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in L.A. have declined by 15%, according to the head of the emergency department. Do these lives matter to anybody? I mean, if they do, do it matter to Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci? Do they? Because they don't talk about it. Do they matter to uh, Governor Newsom? He doesn't talk about it. How about Governor Cuomo? Something's going on in New York, in New York City. It's going on all over the country. I hope this was worth it. The physicians interviewed who worked in Southern California as well as Visalia, Sacramento, and Fresno said emergency cases at their hospitals were down 30 to 50%. At Kaiser Permanente, which operates a large network of hospitals around the state, emergency department patients have fallen off by more than half. A Kaiser representative said the number of people being transported by ambulance to hospitals in L.A. County is down between 20 and 30 percent. Seeing the brutal toll the coronavirus has taken in New York City and other hot spots where infected people swamped hospital emergency rooms, California officials have to take its, its deadly potential seriously. And they've hammered on the importance of not seeking help at hospitals unless absolutely necessary. Gee, do you think they've taken the virus seriously out there, Mr. Producer? Almost to the exclusion of everything else. Public push has been effective, and with people staying home, the number of car accidents, shootings, and other trauma cases coming into emergency rooms is down, while people with non-urgent ailments have stayed away as well. But lost in that messaging, physicians and health officials now worry was an important caveat. If you're having a medical emergency, you should still go to the hospital. It's fear, said Dr. Carrie Ann Drenton, an emergency physician in Sacramento. People are afraid to come in because the emergency department is seen as this haven of infection and sickness. As I say, that's part of it. But the other part of it is people are unemployed. Patients who resist seeking help and then came to the hospital days late underscore the problem. Brown, the neurologist at Hogue Hospital, recounted an elderly woman who arrived at the hospital last week. She'd remained at home for four days despite having weakness on one side of her body and difficulty speaking. Both telltale signs of a stroke. Asked why she waited, the woman told doctors she'd been afraid. She'd been exposed to the coronavirus at the hospital, Brown said. I want to thank our media. They've been asking if the president has blood on their hands. I have a question. Do the media have blood on their hands, ladies and gentlemen? 
They have it on their hands, their face, their neck, their back, their front, their feet. Had the woman come in right away, Brown said doctors likely would have been able to give her medications that can prevent lasting damage. They're administered soon after a stroke or perform a procedure to remove the blood clot causing the stroke. As it was, there was little to be done for the woman who suffered permanent brain damage and paralysis. Horrific. And I don't need to predict it. What you're going to see is scores and scores of cases like this. Thousands and thousands of cases like this now. And a 43-year-old man who suffered a heart attack was lucky to be alive, said Dr. Dipti Ichhaporia, a cardiologist and director of disease management at Hogue. Despite several days of chest pain, the man told his wife he would not go to the emergency room because of the virus. You see, they've, they've turned this virus into the Black Plague of Europe. So even though it's bad, people truly are so afraid now. And every day, they keep telling you the same thing over and over again, like propaganda. Every day, the same thing over and over again. And yesterday, we got a mouthful about, and then come the, you know, late summer into fall, we're going to have, on top of this virus, we're going to have a flu, and oh my God, it's Armageddon. The apparent problem is nationwide. In March, as the coronavirus spread, the number of patients who underwent critical artery clearing procedures, such as the, the one in a Hogue Hospital, performed, dropped 38%. 38% compared with the earlier period, the study found. Doctors and health experts also worry about people with injuries or illness that would not be critical in the moment, but can be major problems if allowed to fester. Physicians interviewed offered gruesome accounts of patients arriving days after suffering lacerations, ruptured appendixes, skin infections, and so forth. Look, 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 look. That's, uh, that's elective surgery. That's an elective procedure. We're focused on one thing and one thing only. Two and a half to three million people die in this country every year. I don't see this on the Drudge Report, Mr. Producer. Matt, why don't you put that up there? So we have a real context. Come on, Matt, you can do it. I'll even send some hits your way. The vast majority of people who die, nothing to do with the coronavirus. The fear of contracting COVID-19, the illness caused by the coronavirus, is largely misplaced, doctors said. The hospital has implemented widely used safety measures, such as screening patients for symptoms of the illness before they enter the emergency department, cleaning thoroughly and isolating anyone who shows signs of the virus. The risk is low, they said. The risk is low of spreading the virus in a hospital emergency room if you follow the social distancing requirements. So then why isn't the risk low if you follow the social distancing requirements in a restaurant? in a department store, in every other place? The answer is, it is. And if you do catch it, and you're not somebody who's in the hospital, but you're somebody who's in decent health, the stats show, not a model, that you're going to be just fine. Health officials are now trying to spread the message 
Dr. Christina Gali, director of the L.A. County Department of Health Services, last week urged people to get help if they're having an emergency, saying they do not need to be aware. You know, the problem with this is follow the science and you'll break your neck. Follow the science, you don't need a neck brace. You don't need masks, you do need masks. In fact, you better wear masks, and you better wear masks every time you're among a mass of people. Wait a minute, I, I'm not following this. Doesn't matter, do what you're told. Young people are the least likely to be harmed from the virus, so we'll send them home to mommy and daddy and grandpa and grandma, or the most likely to be harmed by the virus when it comes to the age population. That's smart. Isn't it? And we need to protect the hospitals by destroying the hospitals. We need to make sure we have a, 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 a robust medical, uh, you know, medical profession and personnel out there by destroying the profession and eliminating the personnel. Because what's not said here, what Cuomo the dumbo so you're going to pick the life or you're going to pick the dollar bill? And all he ever talks about is dollar bills, this schmo. Well, if you don't have dollar bills, you don't have hospitals, doctors, nurses, technicians. You don't have very, very expensive machines. You don't have nothing. Nothing. The effect of people forgoing treatment could be deep and long-lasting. Physicians said they believe people are dying in their homes and expect to see a rise in cases of congestive heart failure, major strokes, and other chronic problems that are the result of people failing to be treated during the current crisis. And I want to remind you of what is not discussed in the media and not discussed by Fauci and Burks, but has been discussed by me repeatedly, for which I've been criticized. Well, you know what? Screw them. Heart disease. 650,000 die a year. It'll be more. Cancer, 600,000 a year. It'll be more. Accidents of any kind, 170,000 a year. Chronic lower respiratory disease, lung disease, 160,000. Strokes, 146,000. You're going to see more and more and more. And more resources being focused on the virus, whether it's our pharmaceutical companies, our labs, rightly trying to come up with answers, solutions. But they only have so many resources and so many qualified and trained professionals. So all these other illnesses are going to take a back seat. All these other illnesses, which account for over 2 million deaths in this country. Over 99% of the people who get this virus in all populations will not die. In fact, the fatality rate seems to be around half of 1% to one-tenth of 1%. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? 
Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. I don't understand these constant attacks on Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia. I say liberate Georgia, Mr. Producer. Liberate Michigan, liberate Minnesota, liberate all these dark blue states. Here we have a man who's trying to liberate Georgia. I don't give a damn what Fauci and Burke and others think about it, quite frankly. The governors who should be pounded are the governors who apparently are praised. Cuomo... Dopey there in New Jersey, the clown in Illinois, the little dabble do you in California. What are they being praised for? How hard is it to be an autocrat? Not at all. And you know, Kemp's not coming to Congress for money. He's doing what he thinks is right for his state. That's the way it's supposed to work. So count me out again, I guess. I'm not joining in the crowd. He wants to open his state. Abbott wants to open his state. DeSantis wants to open his state. Liberate Georgia! Right, Mr. Producer? Meanwhile, here's Andrew Cuomo. Why does Andrew Cuomo get all this attention? New York is not the biggest state. It's not the most populated state. But, of course, it got slammed with this virus. Why did it get slammed with this virus? Well, a lot of people come to New York, and they come from all over the world. Well, a lot of people come to L.A. A lot of people come to a lot of places. In fact, the Asian-American community, I believe, is much larger in California. And California didn't have the breakout like they did in New York. Well, one of the reasons we already told you. I told you about this, and and then uh, Buck Sexton followed up a day or two later and told you what I told you, which is this study from an economist at MIT that says this decision by the New York government to limit the number of subway trains to vastly reduce them, and same with public buses, put at great risk the MTA workers there, and you can see the the inordinate number of them who've died. It's a terrible thing. And this virus in particular uses the opportunity of very, very dense situations to spread very easily. Well, that boneheaded decision resulted at least in part And one of the reasons New York became such a hot zone. I'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Mark Levin, the 
voice the liberals want to silence. But you can talk to Mark at 877-381-3811. This may shock some of you, but Roger Stone will be on this program next hour. He and I have never gotten along. We've never liked each other in the least. I don't know that I've ever actually spoken to Roger Stone, but we will today. And you want to know why? Because what's wrong is wrong and what's right is right. And Roger Stone is a victim. He's a victim of tyranny. And so I have invited him on this program. Nothing to do with whether we like each other. It has to do with the rule of law. And really comes down to humanity. To tell you the truth. Well, uh, if you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College, a fantastic college with a fantastic president, Larry Arnn. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Ready in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America, and now you can too with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. And learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Many of you are homeschooling now because your schools have been shut down, which is shocking to me. It's shocking to me. Well, You ought to take a look at Hillsdale College. You can register now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Please go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. Ready for this? Sweden, Sweden, and of course Sweden is attacked by Fauci and Burks and, and that. Look, the science and the scientists are two different things. You have a significant population of brilliant, accomplished experts, epidemiologists, virologists, and all kinds of ists who disagree with what Burks and Fauci have been doing. They disagree with what Cuomo and Newsom and Pritzker and Prancer uh, disagree with what they've been doing. The experts in Sweden disagree. And they'll say, look at all the deaths in Sweden. Look at all the deaths in America. Even put the virus aside. They keep doing a head count on the number of people dying from this virus. And we're not even clear how they're, how they're calculating who dies from the virus or whether it's uh, partly the virus or anything else. We've talked at length about this. Well, how many people have died so far of heart disease and all the rest of it? They don't know. The newsrooms don't know. They're, they're, they're incurious. It doesn't matter. Well, I'll tell you what. A life is a life. A life is a life. And it does matter. This from CNBC, so it must be true. Sweden resisted a lockdown. 
and its capital, Stockholm, is expected to reach herd immunity in weeks. By Holly Ilyat. Its neighbors closed borders, schools, bars, and businesses as the coronavirus pandemic swept through Europe. But Sweden went against the grain by keeping public life as unrestricted as possible. The strategy aimed at allowing some exposure to the virus in order to build immunity among the general population while protecting high-risk groups like the elderly has been controversial. And why is it controversial? Yeah, people from Yale and Oxford, from Rockefeller, from Stanford, from every major university in this country suggesting this. Some health experts liken it to playing Russian roulette with public health. But now the country's chief epidemiologist said the strategy appears to be working and that herd immunity could be reached in the capital, Stockholm, in a matter of weeks. Quote, in major parts of Sweden around Stockholm, we've reached plateau in new cases and we're already seeing the effect of herd immunity and in a few weeks' time, we'll see even more of the effects of that. And in the rest of the country, the situation is stable, said Dr. Anders Tegnell, chief epidemiologist at Sweden's Public Health Agency, told CNBC. Herd immunity among a population, usually achieved through vaccination, is reached when around 60% of citizens are deemed immune. Without a vaccine for the coronavirus, however, the scientists are looking at whether exposure to and recovery from COVID-19 leads to long-term immunity. Reflections of coronavirus have been reported. Reinfections, I should say. I'm reading with one eye, so... Tegnell said sampling and modeling data indicated that 20% of Stockholm's population is already immune to the virus and that in a few weeks' time we might reach herd immunity, and we believe that is why we're seeing a slow decline in cases in spite of sampling more and more. Unfortunately, the mortality rate is high due to the introduction of the virus in elderly care homes, and we are investigating the cause of that. In other words, they had said that when it comes to the elderly and the infirm, they should be, you know, specifically treated as has cats uh, and others. They should be protected. They should be treated. But there was a screw-up, as there's a screw-up in our country when you see the, the virus going through uh, nursing homes, wiping out half the population of the elderly in these nursing homes. The major part of Sweden's 15,322 confirmed cases in Stockholm and its surrounding areas with very small incidences of the virus in the rest of the, of the country, a country of around 10 million that has a low population density outside its urban hubs. The number of cases in Sweden is almost double that in neighboring Denmark and Finland that impose strict lockdown measures. Yeah, but it's going to come down back and bite them in the ass, as it will with us. Since their populations are each around 5 million, half of Sweden's, the rates are about the same, although the comparison could be skewed by testing numbers. Still, Sweden's 1,937 death toll is far higher than its neighbors. This isn't over. It's far higher than its neighbors today. What about a year from now? This is the point. Sweden originally tested only people who came into a hospital, but is now testing more key workers than those in care homes. Tegnell said the decision to test more groups of people was a reason for the number of confirmed cases, not declining as quickly as it could have. Sweden's testing around 20,000 people a week and hopes to increase that to 100,000 in a few weeks, he said. Well, the number of new cases appears to be declining. Achieving herd immunity has proved controversial. 
It's controversial in all the countries that don't use it. Tacitly allowing the virus to spread, albeit having put measures in place to slow its spread, puts the elderly and people with existing health conditions at a greater risk of becoming seriously ill and potentially dying. Tegnell conceded the situation in Sweden's care homes, which have seen the majority of deaths from the, con- from the coronavirus, is worrying. The death toll is very closely related to elderly care homes. More than half the people that have died have lived in elderly care homes. Tegnell said, adding that he and the public health agency are still very concerned about the elderly. It's the group we said we needed to protect. So in other words, they didn't allow this thing to rip through elderly homes. They're trying to figure out why the focus on the elderly homes that they recommended wasn't instituted. That's completely different from the scientific approach. That's what we call human screw-up. Nonetheless, Tugnell said he was fairly confident in the strategy his agency has pursued, but said it would be too early for the Swedish government to lift restrictions imposed to delay the spread of the virus. Big part of the country has not been affected at all yet. So in other words, again, it's not even ripping through the other parts of the population. I guess what the governor of Georgia is trying to do, in some respects, if I have to keep it simple, is what the government of Sweden has done with its general population. Not let it rip, but let much more liberty and life in its economic system. Now, why is this governor of Georgia, Kemp, who I've never talked to and didn't even like prior to now, now I like him more, why is he coming under attack? Do you know why he's coming under attack, Mr. Producer? Because if the death levels start to increase even slightly, there's not a national politician or another governor that wants anything to do with it. They want nothing to do with it. Part of this is cowardice. They want nothing to do with it. And yet in the end, the decisions by the governor of Georgia may turn out to be the best decisions of any governor in the country. If you listen to some of these other experts and you see what's going on in Sweden. The problem we have now and these other countries have now is what I'll call the Fauci Burke's dead end. They have no way to come out of this. They put out these guidelines, but they're really meaningless. They're really meaningless because too many millions of Americans, even though a significantly higher number of Americans have had this virus than we know, that's the nature of viruses. The fact is millions of more people will have this virus because it hasn't gone through the general population and there haven't been antibiotics and immunity buildup in a lot of the population. So when they talk about it and they insist that we're going to get hit again around flu season in the fall, then we've got to deal with both of them and so forth. That's on their hands. That was their strategy. Or as Dr. Katz put it, they just pushed the date off to a later day. Well, the governor of Georgia doesn't want to push the date off. The government of Sweden doesn't want to push the date off. They want to wrestle this damn thing to the ground once and for all. And this is why you get questions to Fauci and Berg. So the, when can we open the schools? Well, I, uh, I think we can open the schools, you know. And, uh, when you meet our guidelines, that's, that's the ticket. You got uh, the three phases of the guidelines. You got, you know, it's kind of what I think anyway. Uh, that's, 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 that's what we'll do. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Now, what do you think of the governor uh, of uh, Georgia? Well, you know, strictly my, my medical expertise and advice, uh, I strongly disagree with him. 
he's not following our guidelines. And, you know, what do you think about Cuomo, who's keeping his state shut down and the city shut down, even though it looks like he's met phase one? Well, I think the governor is very responsible there. I think he's uh, he's following the science. And, you know, he's, he's just he's just unbelievable. Um, he is unbelievable. I'll be right back. Mark We'll get to you callers in the next hour. We have Mike from Newport Beach, Scott from Staten Line, Anne from L.A., landlord forced to reduce rent by 25%. It's a free country, right? Eugenia in New York, Representative Massey is right. We're losing our crops, Highland, New York. Candy, L.A., hospital worker, losing hours at work. I'm sure the media feel your pain. They're Democrats, too, of course. As social distancing has become the new norm, it's more important ever to call, text, video chat with your loved ones, which means you need a low-cost wireless service that has top quality, a great quality of service. Well, you can feel confident with Pure Talk USA. This is a really wonderful company. Pure Talk USA covers 99% of all American households. And my friends, during the month of April, that's now, you can enjoy unlimited talk, text, plus one gig of data for as little as $20 a month. By the way, if you're an AMAC member, you can get plans as low as $10 a month. Now, this is real money that Pure Talk's putting back in your pocket during the time you need it most. Switching literally takes a few minutes. That's all. Well, Mark, it's such a hassle. No, it's not. It's not. You can even keep your number and your phone. And Pure Talk makes it very easy, seamless. Pure Talk's customer service is all U.S.-based. They're the only wireless provider that AMAC endorses. They're the only wireless provider that Mark Levin endorses. So you know they care about you, their customers. I want to encourage you. Another way to save money and get top-quality service Switch to Pure Talk today and start saving every single month. I have a very efficient way for you to do this. Dial pound 250 and say the keyword Mark Levin. Dial pound 250 and say Mark Levin. That's pound 250, promo code Mark Levin. Pure Talk USA is simply smarter wireless. And Los Angeles, California, 870 The Answer, where we are live and national on KRLA. Go. Hi, um, Mark Levin. My goodness, it's such an honor to speak to you. Thank you. I am calling. I, I am just honored to speak to you. Thank I you. I have two ideas. Um, in fact, um, the, the thing that's so scary right now is I'm a realtor. I'm a landlord. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and I didn't file for the stimulus money because I thought I could survive for right now. And I thought, what about giving a stimulus tax cut and giving 10000 to those of us small business people who are not in the dire straits yet? Because I didn't think we should take the money if we weren't in dire straits. But I'm worried that if this quarantine keeps up and renters can't pay, then we're really going to be in tough spot. And that I, I just I can't agree with you on this. I hope I don't upset you. I'm not into any more of these central government schemes and plans that never work. 
I'm not interested in relief. I'm interested in opportunity and growth and profit, and it is time to open the economy. And I am not going to trash any politician who makes a judgment, tries his or her best to try and figure out how to make sure that their people, whether it's a governor or a mayor or a county commissioner or what have you, can put food on their table, a roof over their head, pay their rent, pay their mortgage, run their business. You're not going to find me trashing this person. I'm not going to do it. Whether the person's in Georgia or Florida or South Carolina or Tennessee, whether the person is in Texas or whoever they are, I tip my hat to them because in this environment right now, in this environment right now, 26 million people unemployed is not getting the passionate concern that it deserves. Instead, we just think spend more money, more debt, more deficits, head toward hyperinflation, and then we all feel morally comfortable. I'm not feeling morally comfortable with this in the least. So okay, but wait, got, hold on a yes. second. Hold on a second. In California, though, right now, there's a bill by a guy named Ting, AB 828, and they want to reduce all rent in the whole state of California by 25%. I, I, I know, ma'am, but I'm not going to, I don't want to pay you $10,000. Why not pay you twenty thousand dollars? I'm not asking for it right I now. I thought you were asking for it. Well, no, but I mean, if things start getting rough, I don't I control your state. My kids moved out of your state this summer. They moved to Tennessee, where the rules don't apply like that in Tennessee. Okay, but one look. of these days I'm going to move out of this hard state, Virginia. I moved here for liberty. It's not free anymore. I can't be expected, and the other people can't be expected. Your realtor with properties. We're going to pay you ten thousand, and we're going to we're going to pay another guy fifteen thousand. Another guy gets a hundred thousand. I'm telling you, the economy cannot tolerate this. I agree, but I, and I'm a total fiscal conservative. But if we're being told that our funds are going to be reduced by twenty five percent, then at least well, you ought to sue them under the Fifth Amendment, the Federal Takings Clause. Go to the Pacific Legal Foundation if you want. But you don't go to your fellow citizens and say, I want $10,000. This mindset has to stop. No, okay. But how about this? If we say, okay, we would like... Ma'am, contact the Pacific Legal Foundation. Ask them if they'll take up your takings clause uh, case and see what happens. I'm I'm not interested in a thousand more plans and strategies uh, for abandoning capitalism and putting up with these tyrants. The way you beat a tyrant is to defeat a tyrant not to subsidize their policies. I'm sorry. I know I'm in the minority. It's the way it is. One day I'll be in the majority. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. 
Reform movement, that is the Jewish reform movement, condemns President Trump's executive order on immigration. I said, say what? The reform movement yesterday condemned President Trump's executive order suspending the issuance of green cards for 60 days. You know, ladies and gentlemen, maybe we're talking about 10,000 people, give or take. I mean, this thing really isn't what it seems to be. But anyway, let's go on. The new executive order, quote, is an extension of the xenophobia that has tragically guided our nation's immigration policies during his time in office, said Rabbi Jonah Dove Pestner, director of the Religious Action Center of Reform Judaism. The decision comes on the heels of the Trump administration's decimation of the U.S. asylum system and refugee resettlement program for no discernible reason other than hostility toward individuals seeking refuge in a country that has long served as a haven for those most in need. He said in a statement on behalf of the Union for Reform Judaism and Central Conference of American Rabbis. These are a bunch of left-wing quasi-secularists. And there's nothing reform about them. I was raised as a reformed Jew. I won't set foot in a reformed synagogue. I got so sick and tired of left-wing rabbis lecturing on politics and I wasn't going to sit through these services just so I could, at the end, get a sugar cookie and a glass of grape juice. So I guess I've been a reformed Jew. Well, I'm tonight renouncing that. The word reform will never pass my lips again. I'm a Jew, and I'm an American Jew. And I could not be more proud of this president. And so maybe I'll look at conservative Judaism or even orthodox Judaism. I don't think I've got to say it's a soft form, if you will. But reform Judaism, no. Done with it. Done with it. He didn't say a damn thing about Barack Obama. And where are all your statements and releases, Rabbi, when it comes to what this president has done? for the Jewish people and the state of Israel. So I got to wash my hands of this reform movement. And you need to understand, I went to synagogue as a young child and teenager at a wonderful reform congregation in Elkins Park called Knesset Israel. We had a great rabbi, Rabbi Bertram Korn. But these rabbis, they're, they're, they're half politician, they're half rabbi. I find I agree more with the Orthodox Jews. Certainly politically. So I just want to make it clear, not that they care, that I absolutely renounce any association to Reform Judaism. Period. Period. Now issue all the damn press releases you want. Meanwhile, they kiss up to Obama, they kiss up to Kerry, they kiss up to this J Street, this disgusting organization, in my opinion, of self-hating Jews that endorse Joe, I've got no mind, Biden. 
Biden, who is embraced by Abbas and the modern-day PLO, if you will. It's disgusting. Disgusting. I'm embarrassed to even talk about this. The vast majority of my audience is Gentile. You folks know who you are and what you are. It's embarrassing. We are commanded 36 times in the Torah to welcome and love the stranger and immigrant far more than any, uh, than, uh, any other dictate, due in no small part to its difficulty. As Reformed Jews, we embrace the mandate to welcome those different than ourselves. Do you do that in your own home, Rabbi? Tell me, Rabbi, is your door always open? Is that what you do in your house? Is that what you do in your synagogue? Because if you do, you're nuts. You're nuts. And all of a sudden, they're textualists. They're strict constructionists. You know, like, like a Nancy Pelosi with the Constitution. <laughs> a 60-day respite. Meanwhile, I bet this reform rabbi loves Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Who sent almost a thousand Jews who had escaped Nazi Germany on a ship, had to turn around and go back, where a significant percentage of those Jews were sent to the gas chambers. How about that, rabbis? You like Franklin Roosevelt? Or when he rounded up 120,000 Japanese Americans and Americans of Japanese descent, put them in concentration camps, took their property away and their rights away. What do you think about that? The union of uh, reform, uh, Judaism, and so forth and so on. The great FDR. How about the great FDR and the great New York Times and the great Washington Post, which did their best to cover up the Holocaust? Hey, how about that one? These are dyed-in-the-wall left-wing Democrats. I guarantee it. Like these creeps at J Street. J Street should be M Street, Moron Street. George Soros backs them, you know, all the usual reprobates. All the usual reprobates. Evangelical Christians, Jews, people of faith should thank the good Lord we have this president. He has really surprised in so many ways. His defense of the Constitution with appointments to the courts, his defense of the Constitution, despite the Democrats demanding that he centralize and nationalize anything that moves, even things that don't move in in addressing this virus so they can advance their left-wing kook agenda. He stands up for life. He really stands up for life. He really stands up for faith. And he deserves better than this. He's no xenophobe. He's a man who loves his country. Does Nancy Pelosi love her country? If she would take that face of hers out of her ice cream. Does John Kerry love his country when he goes around our backs to the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran? How about Barack Obama fundamentally change America? Does he love the country? 
Rabbi Jonah Dove Pesner, you're an embarrassment. You should be ashamed of yourself. But you won't be. In your circles, oh, look at this. He issued a press release. What a hero. And it wound up in the Jerusalem Post, and Mark Levin talked, whoa, my goodness, what a guy. Hey, two extra cookies and a gallon of grape juice for you. Now, I have a real rabbi now. We do. Rabbi Cohen in our Chabad. You know, five years ago, I didn't know what the hell a Chabad was. Now I do. Great rabbis around here. Senders, another one. I could, I could name them. There's a handful of conservatives who are reform uh, Jewish rabbis. The problem is it's a handful. It's like this anti-defamation league taken over by the Obama flunky. What's his name? Greenblatt? Not to be confused with the great Greenblatt, but another Greenblatt. Absolute Democrat liberal flunky. I don't know. Were they issuing statement after statement about Ayach and her anti-Semitism? How about Ilian Omar? What about her? How about the Democrat Party and its growing embrace of Jew haters and anti-Semites? What about that? No, no, no. It's Trump. Got to get Trump. Because they're political hacks. They're political hacks who studied the the, uh, Torah. That's it. It's that simple. So... I'm going to renounce my really lifelong association. It was, it was only a matter of time with Reform Judaism. I'll just go for Judaism and take a good look at the other uh, the others in, uh, in the Jewish religion because this I cannot tolerate anymore. I'm getting too old for this stuff. You know what I mean? When we come back, scheduled anyway, Roger Stone. You can go now, Mr. Producer. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. By the way, there's this site called Media. I don't waste your time. Just went through the first 10 posts. Not a word about 26 million people unemployed. Maybe if they join the ranks of the unemployed, maybe then they'll be concerned about it. Roger Stone, welcome to the program, sir. 
Mark, thank you very much for having me. You know, Roger, you and I have never really gotten along, but I have to say this. To watch you go through this has been gut-wrenching. I just want the American people to understand to have like 30 or whatever the number was of armed police and federal agents and God knows what in the middle of the night yank you out of your house with your wife there to see what's going on in terms of the charges against you. And by the way, don't discuss what you're not able to. By the, is there still a gag order on you? There, the gag order has been repealed. Obviously, there are a number of things in the sealed documents of the trial that I'm not able to discuss. But for the first time ever, I'm able to defend myself. For the first time in 16 months, uh, the judge ruled that if I were able to speak on social media or radio shows like this, it would taint the jury. It doesn't speak to whether the Washington Post or the CNN was tainting the jury, of course. Well, I, I even said some time ago, why is there still a gag order on Roger Stone? The trial's over. The trial's over. She's the one sentencing. Why is there a gag order? Uh, she, she said that it was to protect the jurors and the witnesses as if I am a gangster. Look, just because I dress like a gangster doesn't mean I am a gangster. I, I had no previous criminal record. When they raided my house, I didn't own a firearm, although I strongly support the Second Amendment. I didn't have a valid passport. Uh, I had no, no intention of fleeing, but they showed up with 29 heavily armed FBI agents uh, in SWAT gear, a canine unit of dogs in case I, I fled, I guess, a battering ram to smash in the front door. They, had, they arrived in 17 armored vehicles. There was a helicopter overhead, two amphibious units on the canal behind my house with frogmen who were, who were armed. Uh, for a 67-year-old man being charged with nonviolent process crimes. And, Mark, they had talked to my lawyer and the special counsel the day before. All they had to do was say, we're charging your client, bring him in. And I would, certainly would have come. It cost the taxpayers $1.1 million, and we still don't have an answer as to who in the FBI approved this over-the-top raid. But we do know this. CNN was allowed to film the whole thing. 25 feet from my front door, even though my dead-end street was sealed and no other media was allowed in. Do you think at some point one day you might bring a civil case against CNN and some of these other entities to get depositions and get to the bottom? You probably don't have any money, so that might be difficult. Well, well Judicial Watch uh, first filed a Freedom of Information request for all emails between CNN and the FBI. The FBI stonewalled it. Now, uh, now Judicial Watch, Tom Fitton, who I think does a great job, has filed a lawsuit for that information. Uh, I, can, I know from the security camera footage, CNN showed up exactly 11 minutes before the FBI. This has to be the shortest stakeout uh, in American criminal history. And no interest in any of this, did she? No. None whatsoever. In fact, I was barred from discussing it. Uh, specifically, on a motion of the government, I was prohibited from criticizing the, the FBI, the special counsel, the Justice Department, or any member of Congress whatsoever in my defense. I was barred from doing so. Even though the underlying theme of my indictment was that the Russians hacked the DNC and gave the information to WikiLeaks, which I still consider to be unproven, I was not allowed to 
present forensic evidence to challenge that. I was prohibited from doing that. Selective prosecution, I argued, well, wait a minute, I lied to Congress. If I made misstatements to Congress, they were immaterial. They had no significance. Like, do you remember having an email from Steve Bannon on August 2nd? No, I don't. Ah, you lied. Yeah, but we were talking about something in the Washington Post that morning. The content is immaterial. It doesn't matter. It's a lie. Well, what about Comey, Brennan, Clapper, Strzok, Hillary Clinton herself, Robert Mueller himself? They lied about consequential things. Uh, whereas uh, for a year, CNN said Stone will be prosecuted for treason, espionage, cyber crimes, receipt of, of stolen emails. He was the link between the Trump campaign and Russia, having lied to a judge and said they had evidence of money laundering on my behalf to get warrants. And having gone through every nook and cranny in my life, this was the best Andrew Weissman, who wrote my indictment, by the way, to come up with lying to Congress about matters that were immaterial. And every question for which I was charged was asked by Adam Schiff because he coordinated his testimony with the Mueller team. And you were charged, so the American people know, with exactly what? Uh, Lying to Congress and therefore obstructing uh, the investigation uh, into, into Russian collusion, but specifically lying about the Trump campaign's interest in the WikiLeaks disclosures, an interest that I argue Donald Trump himself brought to the public for 142 times in September and October. It wasn't a secret. In other words, there was no underlying crime for me to lie about. Why, why does any of this matter? To lie? Why does any of it matter? Here's, where, here's why it matters, Mark, because on July... 24th of 2019, Jeannie Ree, who was formerly Hillary Clinton's attorney uh, and the Clinton Foundation attorney in the Clinton email matter, but who's now a prosecutor at that point for Robert Mueller, speaking of a conflict of interest, wow. told, offered my lawyers a deal. If your client, Roger Stone, will, will confess about 36 phone conversations he had with candidate Donald Trump in 20. 16, all of which were longer than 30 minutes. If he will remember the way we want him to, we would argue for no jail time. And I declined because it would be a lie. Uh, I never discussed WikiLeaks or Russia or anything Russia related with candidate Trump. That's just a fact. The same thing he said in his written answers to Mueller. Same thing I said on Meet the Press. It happens to be the truth. So I declined to bear false witness against Trump. That's what this was really all about. Can, can you hold on through the uh, break? Sure, absolutely. All right. Talking to Roger Stone, I'm very, very concerned about how this man has been treated. Very concerned. And I want to explore this further. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. 
And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Mark Levin, the modern voice of the Founding Fathers. This is the Mark Levin Show. Dial in now at 877-381-3811. We're talking to Roger Stone. Roger Stone, how many years... How many years does this judge want to put you away for? Uh, She ultimately gave me a a three-and-a-half-year sentence with an additional two years of supervised uh, probation, 320 hours of community service, and I think it's a $25,000 fine, uh, which seems rather odd to me because murderers and rapists get off with less. The original uh, sentencing recommendation of the four prosecutors who ultimately resigned from my case, who, by the way, were not career prosecutors, were not career line prosecutors. Every single one of them had been an Obama or Clinton appointee in a different branch of government. So this idea that these were careerists subjecting to uh, bar, you know, fixing the system for Roger Stone is nonsense. And in their sentencing memo, they just said things that were flatly not true. I wrote a book about the Mueller investigation. It was published on February 9th. That is an indisputable fact. The gag order came into place February 12th. Thus, I did not violate it. But in their gag or in their sentencing memo, they alleged that I had, just an example. Uh, and that got me an extra six months, I might add. So uh, it, it, the whole thing, um, it, it was like a Soviet-style show trial. Mm-hmm. And they prosecuted me long after they knew there was no Russian collusion. So the people who attempted in an illegal coup to take down Donald Trump, uh, I'm just collateral damage. Thank God they didn't get him. But it's the same tactics. uh, It's the same partisanship. Everybody involved in my prosecution by the special counsel's office had a previous affiliation with Hillary Clinton. Aaron Zelinsky, former U.S. attorney from Baltimore. This guy's an arrogant bully, uh, extraordinarily arrogant and pompous, threatening, constantly poking lawyers in the chest and threatening them. He was uh, the deputy counsel to Hillary Clinton at the State Department. Don't refer to him as a career prosecutor. He's a political hitman. He violated a number of the canon of ethics. There will be rule sex violations against many of these prosecutors before this is all over. You must look at this and say to yourself, now they're letting people out of prison who've really committed serious crimes because of this virus, while this judge is going to try and put me in prison. Isn't that strange, too? Well, specifically, Rick Gates, who testified against me, uh, falsely, I might add, uh, and therefore made a deal for a 45-day sentence, he committed the exact same, he was convicted of the exact same crimes as Manafort, but he got a 45-day sentence. He has now been released from prison by the judge in my case, but she has ordered that I be taken into custody next Thursday. I'm 67 years old. I have a history of respiratory problems. Uh, You know, I'm a sitting duck for for, uh, the coronavirus, but um, 
again, two, you know, two different, two-tiered justice. Uh, the judge wouldn't allow us to argue selective prosecution, even all those other people I mentioned, Clapper, Comey, Brennan, et al. had lied. Uh, and now it seems that Michael Avenatti can get out of prison, Michael Cohen can get out of prison, uh, Rick Gates can get out of prison, but Roger Stone is going to the Huskow. And uh, we have this issue with the jury for- foreman who was clearly biased, politically biased. Uh, the judge wouldn't strike her uh, from the jury. And uh, just, uh, what was it, a couple days ago, in the midst of all this virus uh, uh, reporting, she just decides, you know, the case you made wasn't strong enough. You're not going to get a new trial. And off we go. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact is the jury foreperson, and by the way, she outed herself. Her name is Tamika Hart. She chose to go on CNN and become known. In 2019, she attacked me by name and the president on social media, both Facebook and Twitter. She specifically attacked me on the day I was arrested. She attacked me subsequently. Of Donald Trump, she said he was the Klan president. And she said all of his supporters are racist. That would presumably include you and I. Uh, yet she hid that uh, during jury selection, uh, and although these although these things were on her social media, her social media settings were on private during the trial. So when the judge says it was Stone's lawyer's duty to know, there was no way for us to know. First of all, the law says you're allowed to entitle on to to rely on the fact that the juror is telling the truth. Ironically, as soon as my trial was over. She closed her Facebook account and opened a new one. Which, but you know, I, I would. Why, why, you know, that, that, and when we asked for the ability to subpoena Facebook to find out what her tweets were about, because on the stand in a public hearing she said she couldn't remember, the judge denied us that ability. I believe the Supreme Court guarantees every defendant a right to uh, a, a, an impartial and indifferent jury. There were no Republicans on my jury. There were no Trump supporters on my jury. There were no Jews on my jury. There were no union members on my jury. There were no military veterans on my jury. There was nobody with less than a college education, but a majority of the jurors had post-college education. And there were a number of political appointees in both the Clinton and the Obama administration on my jury. But this is deemed to be a jury of my peers. And, of course, the judge was appointed by Obama. And, you know, it's not just your case. You talked about Manafort. You look how Manafort was treated. Um, he's still sitting in prison. How long has he been in prison, Roger? It's got to be almost two years now. He's 71 she... years old. He's, he, he's had, I believe, two heart attacks. Uh, he's not in good health. He's older than I am, so I think he's 71 or 72. Uh, I'm unfamiliar with the idea of being incarcerated before you've been convicted of any crime. Uh, I don't. I didn't understand that at the time. Uh, judge Jackson is also the judge who dismissed the wrongful death suit by the Benghazi families against Hillary Clinton. Uh, it's interesting. The ruling denying me a new trial based on juror misconduct has been criticized by Jonathan Turley. Uh, by Alan Dershowitz, as well as Judge Napolitano, none of them think that this opinion was rightly decided. But nonetheless, um, you know, my only option is to appeal, which will cost a million dollars. A million dollars I don't have. 
and that's if I survive coronavirus. I mean, I, I, uh, you're clearly, it's a political prosecution, and clearly you'll be a political prisoner. That's the way I view this. I can't help well, this, it. This whole, this this whole is, Russia thing is so much BS. We know now the Obama administration was behind this with the FBI and the intelligence agencies and all the rest of it. Uh, they impeach a president of the United States who did nothing wrong, and then they go after everybody who's around him. The fact is you had no formal role with this campaign at some point. Isn't that correct? That is absolutely correct. But they, they sought to turn me against the president. They wanted me to be another Michael Cohen, and I refused. So I am paying this penalty because I refused to roll over on the president, who I've known for 40 years, who went to my wedding with my wife when I was married. I went to two of his weddings. I, I knew both of his parents extremely well. They were really great people, strong conservative Republicans, by the way. Uh, you know, I have great affection for the president. I have wanted him to run for president publicly since 1988. I want him to run in 88. I want him to run in 2000. I want him to run in 2012. And then, you know, my dream was answered in 2016, and he has exceeded my expectations. I this agree. is the most conservative president in American history. Do you okay. have a, a defense fund? I do. It is stonedefensefund.com. 65,000 Americans have contributed. I raised $2 million for my initial trial. The, uh, the cupboard is now bare. The till is empty. I have to start all over again, but stonedefensefund.com. If you want to sign a petition to the president urging him to, uh, to pardon me or take some other form of executive relief, you can go to freerogerstone.com. So, Mr. Producer, let's put the defense fund up there on Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. And I, I, I just want to tell you this. I am sorry you've gone through this. Nobody should have to go through this. I really am sorry you've gone through this. You probably don't listen to this show, but I've been disgusted with this from day one. So I wish you all the best. And, uh, and I don't know what else to say. Well, on the contrary, um, uh, I must tell you that Life, Liberty, and Levin is now indispensable watching in my home. Uh, And I have followed your coverage, and I'm very grateful. We've had our differences, but if I have trespassed against you in the past, you have my sincere apologies. No worries. You've been very articulate on this, extremely effective. Well, you know what? What's right is right, and what's wrong is wrong. And when the government targets an American citizen, you, General Flynn, Manafern's no angel, but people in a similar position haven't been treated like this. Uh, the rest of us have to speak out. It doesn't matter who it is. And so I wish you all the best, and we will put that, uh, that fundraising site up on my sites immediately. And I think you, I'm being honest, Manafern, Flynn, should all be pardoned. And I haven't said that before, but I believe it. Because I, I have, and, you, and I don't, as, a, as a lawyer, I don't want you to answer this. I despise this judge. I think she's a hack. And if she disagrees with me, she can file a complaint against me, or she can come on this program. Stop hiding behind her robe. All right, Roger Stone, take care of yourself. And there we have it. And he and I never got along. But I feel so terrible about what he's going through. I mean, honest to God, nobody should be treated this way. And I know this Weissman, Andrew Weissman. Man, do I despise that guy. If he had had his way, Trump would be hanging from a telephone pole by his feet, like Mussolini. I tell you the truth. 
These are hitmen. And I'll be right back. Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. So, Mark, I'm getting all these. Who is my rabbi? They want to know. Well, I have a Chabad rabbi here, really, just a couple of miles from our house. Chaim Cohen. And then I have friends who I rely on, too. My man, Sender, who's out there listening, too. But these are the rabbis I'm most drawn to. I'm most drawn to. The Chabad rabbis, Orthodox Jews, I must, I must say, it's true. Not the union of reform, uh, uh, whatever. There's a piece in Politico, and obviously the person who wrote this, Maggie, Maggie Severns, uh, has no idea what the Tea Party is or how it came to be. The title of her piece is, The Coke Network Avatar of the Tea Party Rejects Shutdown Protests. The Koch Network is not the avatar of the Tea Party. The Koch Network wasn't involved in the start of the Tea Party. The start of the Tea Party was generic. I know. I was part of it. And Koch was nowhere. They tried to ride the wave there for a while. And the Koch enterprise has changed dramatically, as far as I'm concerned. It favors open borders. It's thrown with Soros on foreign policy. Uh, I could never support that organization again. I've told you radical libertarianism in some respects comes full circle into the more autocratic mode, socialism, Marxism, and so forth. I'm not saying that's Charles Koch. I'm saying that's a very thin line between the two. I'm a constitutional conservative. That's what I am. That's what I will always be. I was asked once, I think by my buddy Ben Shapiro, but I don't remember, I think it was Ben who said, do you, how do you interpret the Constitution from a libertarian perspective, a conservative? I said, I interpret the Constitution. Period. That's the perspective. So just to inform Politico, and I'm sure they're very interested in this public service, when you write a story that the Koch network opposes shutdown protests, uh, who cares? I want to continue to encourage peaceful, peaceful, protests. We were the first to do so behind this microphone, and I believe in it. If you believe in our founding, if you believe in this country, 
then you believe in peaceful protests. Peaceful protests are covered really by two parts of the Bill of Rights. First, it's free speech. Second, it's freedom of association. You know, not just reprobates in newsrooms get to associate with each other and open their big mouths. We get to do it too. We, the citizens. We, the citizens. I find it interesting that all these governors who are putting out these edicts don't wear masks, don't wear rubber gloves. You notice this, Mr. Producer? I find it interesting that there's one guy in the, uh, in the press room when the president has his uh, task force press conferences who wears a mask. None of the others are wearing masks. I don't see this guy, Larry Hogan, a putative Republican. He's really uh, pathetic. He doesn't wear a mask. He should wear a dunce cap, but he doesn't wear a mask. He's not wearing gloves. This guy, Cuomo. He's not wearing a mask. I don't know what he's doing to his uh, you-know-what's there, according to TMZ. Notice he's not wearing T-shirts anymore. He's not wearing a mask. And there's a guy, honestly, who ought to be wearing a mask, even without a virus. Certainly not wearing gloves. So it's not do as I do, it's do as I say. And now, ladies and gentlemen, they want to bankrupt the federal government more because you and I are supposed to subsidize these states. We're going to fight this. Levinites, millions of us, we're going to fight this. We're not subsidizing states. We're subsidizing enough. We're certainly not going to subsidize left-wing blue governors. The way you deal with them is you throw them the hell out of office. I want to thank police, firefighters, emergency personnel, military, all you magnificent hero Americans who are making this country work. God bless you, and I'll see you tomorrow. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.